Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much. Maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Welcome back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Ben Easter. I'm joined with my lovely wife, Paige Easter, my co-host. And today we are going to talk about Money Mindset Part 2. If you haven't listened to Money Mindset Part 1, I think it's really useful to get some of the frameworks, the general high-level overarching frameworks for Money Mindset from that one. And then today we're going to talk about a few other ways of thinking about money, um, ways that you can conceptualize it such that you might experience a better relationship with money and therefore more... Uh, money in your reality, more power of change in your reality. So um, I think you, you, t- you mentioned at, at the end of the last episode page, the, um, the Robin Hood trope. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a really useful one to kind of double click on. Because it's something, you know, when I was younger, Robin Hood was like a, a folk hero of mine. I loved the idea of Robin Hood. Um, robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. What a noble thing. Um, and I think that we really hold Robin Hood up as a, as a kind of cultural hero. And I think that th- this is problematic for people's personal relationships with money. Okay. And, um, and so, because, because the thing that is most important for who quote unquote should get money, according to Robin Hood are the people who need it the most. Okay. And this can be tricky because the, then what we're what we're saying is the most valuable act that you can do in the world is be needy Mm. to not be able to not be able to take care of oneself Mm -hmm. and so then in comes robin hood who can take it from the wealthy because they don't need it Mm -hmm. so they they shouldn't have money according to the trope and then give it to the poor who they're needy, so they should have it. So then what we have is a high level valuing of need mm-hmm. in the world, okay? Mm-hmm. That, the, that the most important thing that determines what where money flows is how much need you have, mm-hmm. okay? Can I, I, can I like, w- I have a question about that. Can you help me reconcile? So I understand like, okay, there's this Robin Hood and this understanding about like need and how wealth should be distributed. But how do you reconcile that with also this other truth that people, there are some people who are having circumstances in their world where they don't have access to being able to meet their own needs, either through sickness, mental illness, like having kids, having, you know, uh, restricted resources for some kind of, not legal um, arrangement, like their freedom is being blocked by some person in their world. Like, how, how do we reckon, like, how do we hold space for that? And kind of what you're talking about with Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and I think this goes back to what we were talking about in the first episode as well, which is, it's not that what I'm saying is it's bad to give money to the poor or that there's anything wrong with giving money to the poor. 
okay? It's that what we're valuing there is not the need, okay? It's the, it's the continued existence of humanity, you might call it. It's the, uh, it's the sense of community. It's whatever the thing is that's the actual value that we're exchanging there is part of this understanding. But the other part of understanding this is that if, if no one is producing value in the world, okay, it doesn't matter how much need there is. Okay. Mm. So like, so say all of a sudden, and we're just going to play with the, the philosophical thought experiment to help understand this. And which is that there's, there's gotta be an emphasis on creating value first. Otherwise we can't take care of need. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, cause this is what happened like in the, in the U S in the Soviet uprising, they said, well, there are people who, who need, who are poor and they should get the resources from the rich. And so they took the riches resource. They seized them through the force of arms. They killed the wealthy. They sent them off to the gulags to die. And then they distributed their resources to everyone. Okay. Robin hood. Hooray. We have now the, Mm -hmm. we're giving to the needy. Okay. The problem was we took the most productive people in society and killed them. And now there was nobody to produce value in the world. And so everybody starved to death. There were a hundred, I think it was like a hundred million people died as a result of that because, because there's nobody there to produce food. There was nobody there to manage and create the systems that produced the value, the actual tangible value in the world. Mm -hmm. And so anybody all, once they ate the food, once they ate the rich, okay, there was no longer anybody to produce value. And then they all starved to death. And that is like a really important thing I think to recognize is that if we don't focus on value creation first and prioritizing that that is what creates value in the world, we don't have anything left over to take care of the people who are in need. Mm -hmm. And a society can only take care of people in need insofar as it can create enough abundance and enough value that it can do that. Mm -hmm. So this is like what we were talking about before where... Maybe a little bit related to the, the old adage, like you can give a man a fish or you can teach him to fish. Yeah. And I mean, people will take that and be like really harsh. Like, oh, there's situations where people can't fish no matter how much you teach them and and whatever. And I'm not arguing that there are situations where people can't um, create value in the world. Now, Mm -hmm. look, I personally believe that there's no situation where somebody can't figure out some value to create in the world. That's neither here nor there. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with giving to the needy. What I am saying is that we can't value need That's not the actual, there's no value in need because if everybody needed, Mm -hmm. then we would have a society that didn't produce anything and everybody dies. Mm -hmm. The only way that that we can give to the needy is if we have first figured out a way to survive. Mm -hmm. So another thing, another way of overflow and abundance, another way of thinking about this is that, you know, kind of my automatic reaction is like, whoa, Robin Hood but then like, what about the needy? Like, do we just like disregard them? But I guess like what is kind of happening is that it it would be erroneous to say that, well, if we're not valuing or glorifying Robin Hood, then we're somehow saying that the needy don't matter. And that's erroneous because what we could, like the way we could conceptualize it instead would be to say, well, why don't we just focus on creating value and then figuring out once that value is created, what are the important things that we want to be investing that money into? And if we want a society where people aren't experiencing extreme lack, figuring out how to take the resources that are being produced and generate a way for those people to 
fit into society, but either through training or taking care of them or like whatever it be. And so kind of the model of Robin Hood isn't like a one for one exchange of like how we take care of people who have less. Exactly. Another way of like kind of saying this is if you don't, if you haven't figured out a way to feed yourself and you give that food to somebody else, okay, you can only do that for a little while before you will die. About two weeks we go without food before you die. And then you can't ever give food to anybody else. So focusing on feeding ourselves first is the most important thing in terms of value creation Mm -hmm. so that we can then give to whatever causes we care about so that we can then invest our money in whatever ways we want to in the world that's important to us. What What's happening in Robin Hood is he's robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. And we're like, we're like championing that as though it's the poor thing that's the most important. Now, there's another thing that's happening in Robin Hood that I think is really interesting, which is that he's, he's actually Robin Hooding a Robin Hood in a way. So he's going in by force of arm and stealing from Prince John who has in turn gone out to the public and through force of arms stolen from them mm. by tax by taxation. Yeah. And that's something that we're not that we're not really talking about. Robin Hood has actually got both of those stories happening in this in the movie and in the story of Robin Hood is that the reason that everybody is so impoverished is because everything that they make is going to taxes to Prince John who is actually providing no value mm. to him. Okay, and this is what's really tricky about this is actually because you have this story. This is a a dominant story in some of the political narrative is that we need to raise taxes so that we can provide for people. But that is, I think, a confusion because it's the taxes itself that can create a lot of these problems because we're not spent. That money doesn't get spent. Well, really, look, I'm not here to have a political conversation, but it is interesting that we have this this dichotomy that we think that a solution to that is raising taxes, which happens by force of arms. Yeah. Okay. And so Robin Hood comes in and as by from force of arms takes mm-hmm. from the people who shouldn't have it and gives it to the people who should have yeah. it. And all of this is based on some underlying assumption that if people have access to wealth, they wouldn't be using it towards social causes. But I mean, based on what we've already said, like there's so many people out there that actually have like money mindset problems right now because they so strongly believe that what they should be doing is like giving away what they have for the sake of other people, which is super fascinating. Yeah. So then we're not able to create more value in our lives. And so and and by the way, meanwhile, King Richard, okay, isn't doing wouldn't do that if he were around. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the whole story of what's going on in Robin Hood is that King Richard is off fighting the Crusades, <laughs> fighting the Holy War. Neither, neither here nor there. We're not going <laughs> to go that. into that right now. <laughs> but the idea is that this is only able to happen because we have a government who is not serving the people. Because mm-hmm. that's the whole the whole point of the taxes in the first place is to support mm-hmm. the social structure that happens and to have protection. King Richard isn't there to protect people. And that's what the, where all the rising ha- action mm-hmm. happens in Robin Yeah. It's because... Yeah. King Richard is nowhere to be seen. Kind of in a sense, the trope of Robin Hood as like robbing from the rich to feed the poor is such a small part of the whole larger context. And it is misconstrued in a lot of ways. I I just think that it's, you know, it's a folk hero. And, you know, we we all hear that that slogan. Like, I don't even know where that comes from. Rob, Rob from the rich and give to the poor. But somewhere it comes from somewhere. 
Is it from that movie? I don't know. But when we hear Robin Hood, we think of that thing. So that mm-hmm. exists in like our subconscious mm-hmm. cultural narrative that that is a that that is a thing. So I'm, what I advocate for, and in terms of money mindset, I think what we're really talking about here is advocate on the creation of value. Advocate for the creation of value because it's only once we create value that we can do whatever we want to with the, the proceeds from that value. Mm-hmm. It's only once we have systems that produce food and systems that produce water and systems that produce how, how the housing and clothing that protect us from the elephant elements, <laughs> elephant in the room, <laughs> that protect us from the elements. It's only once we have our um, sort of our continued existence handled that we can then do the other things, whatever else we want to do with the money. You can only do anything if you can continue to survive. Mm -hmm. So what about sales? Sales is like a big part of what we talk about money mindset for. So like how does all of this like go into kind of the entrepreneurial journey and sales in general? Yeah. And so I think... um, to, to go to remind people again from the first part of this money mindset conversation, money is value. Money is a medium for exchanging value between people. Mm-hmm. And um, what sales is is really a way to find uh, a, an agreement about value exchange. Two mm-hmm. people have something that they want, they come to a table, they negotiate to find a solution like a win-win solution for mm-hmm. people. And that's at, in its purest, form that's what sales is mm-hmm. okay and then a lot of people have a con- just like money mindset stuff we have sales mindset mm-hmm. stuff where it's like we've all we've got that image of the the kind of the sleazy salesperson being sold uh, to when we're not used, actually used car salesmen get yeah. picked on a lot for for yeah. this but you know actually used car is a very valuable thing that people provide you know but the the idea there is that I think the essence of the the, the sleazy used car mm-hmm. salesman is somebody selling something that they know doesn't work mm-hmm and convincing somebody mm-hmm. through deceit to, you know, mm-hmm. give their, you know, their quote unquote hard earned money to yeah. their thing for the thing that doesn't work. To yeah. sell, and sell I, lemon. I think that contemporary, contemporarily, there are a lot of kind of approaches to sales that are really emphasize the sale itself and not whether or not the terms of the sale are favorable to both parties and I think that like it kind of comes into like an overvaluation of getting the sale out without even really considering you know do both people would both people really benefit from this and I think that that is kind of the reason for like because of that's how, how a lot of people are teaching sales and perpetuating sales is like this numbers game like you win and you get a commission and so then there's this really big incentive to sell in a way that is really emphasizing the generation of income for a person and not the generation of positive relationships and kind of a more long-term vision of, and when I sell this thing to somebody who doesn't actually want it, what does that do for like the image of my product or my service, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross uh, quote, always be closing, always be closing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and this idea of, of sales again, as like a, as like a hunter hunting prospects Mm -hmm. uh, or as some sort of like war metaphor um, for sales. And I think that it's, it's unresourceful. And for all the reasons that you're saying, like you, you can get, you can, you can con someone. Okay. But you probably can't con the same person twice. And so you might be able to get a short-term gain from doing something unethical or from, from basically baiting, baiting, switching somebody or, you know, 
convincing somebody to do something that they wouldn't otherwise through high pressure sales tactics. And I think that that's, you're talking about like hard sales stuff, mm -hmm. um, which is like, you know, using psychological technologies to manipulate someone into doing something that they wouldn't otherwise be interested in doing, mm -hmm. even open to doing. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that is actually, it's counterproductive. So you, mm -hmm. you basically like eat your seed grain then, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you, you're, you're prioritizing the now moment as opposed to creating a system that's sustainable. Because mm -hmm. when you have a valuable offering and it does the thing that people expect it to do or want it to do, and you sell it to them at a, at a price that meets their, their desire for the thing, then we have what can turn into either repeat business or referral business, things that are much more sustainable. And so I think, uh, I think, it's really useful for people, especially if they have a resistance to sales, to realize that there is there's like a light side and a dark side to the force. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that you can you can fight for the Jedi's, not the Sith Lords, if you want to, right? Like you can be on the side of the light. And that is the creation of win-win situations, mm -hmm. the creation of uh, resourceful value exchange, not mm -hmm. the the mm -hmm. taking of things from people that they wouldn't otherwise give. Yeah. So one way really one way that I'm thinking about this right now is that if if I have kind of a, a view, I mean, we've all had the experience of somebody like either a friend that's like MLM and like only reaching out because they want to sell the thing or like a sleazy sales experience. And we have our own kind of, I mean, maybe I'm just speaking for everybody, but I think it's so common that we have an experience where we're sold to in a way that doesn't feel good. And then we misconceptualize that sales is like that uncomfortable thing. And so it kind of generates a mistrust of then when somebody is trying to sell to me that I'm not thinking about what the benefit could be to me. I'm trying to keep myself safe from un, like unsavory sales tactics, right? And so if that's how I've conceptualized sales, then of course I don't want to go do that thing and in, yeah. in like impose that on people in the world. It seems like if that's how we're conceptualizing it, then that would be really problematic. So how do you think we can think about it instead? Uh, yeah, well, the first thing is to recognize that those ones that stand out, those are like the squeaky wheel that gets the grease or whatever. Like when you think of those experiences of having those experiences where you get like sold to, or you're, you know, you have those tactics that don't feel really that, effective like if you know that if you're if you're getting the sense that somebody is like selling to you or trying to convince you of something that's where i think we get into the, these challenging situations with sales where we like start to dismiss sales or we start to like think poorly of sales um when somebody is using these like sith lord tactics or whatever i, I think one of the you mentioned mlm i think one of the reasons that a lot of times mlm get a bad rap which actually, by the way, MLM is a really useful business model. All we're doing with yeah. multi-level marketing is we're we're taking what would be advertising costs, okay? And we're distributing that amongst a network of people who are doing social peer-to-peer -peer sales, okay? At its highest and best, this would be an amazing business model for everybody to be a part of. Think about it. If you have something that you really like and you just want to tell all your friends about that thing that you really like, and you get paid every time somebody says, oh, yeah, I really like that thing, too. That's like a really like what's where's the downside of that? Mm -hmm, OK, mm -hmm. but but when you have a lot of the reason that the MLMs get this like kind of not that clean reputation is because peop, if if you've got someone who's in an upstream and they're saying like, oh, you got to be out there, do like 
convincing everyone, stay in front of them, like keep, keep selling, keep selling, keep selling. And that's not really like, I think that's not what every MLM is doing, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think that there are maybe some percentage of people in MLMs that are doing that. And it, and it gives the whole industry a bad name, but really I think there, there are also people in MLMs that are doing very ethical sales mm-hmm. where they're just sharing things and they're working their systems. They're working their networks. And if you have something that you really like and that you really care about, wouldn't you want to tell people about it? And so they have systematic ways of telling people about it. Um, and so where, where I think we have some opportunities to, I think one way of thinking about this that's really resourceful is everybody loves to buy things. Think about how, how you like to spend money. Think about the last the last time you spent a bunch of money on something that you really liked and how excited you were about that. Like I think about like, you know, one of my first purchases as an adult that I like was really excited about was like my truck. I bought this truck and I was like so excited about this truck. (laughs) Um, But anyway, the, uh, the thing is like, I was so excited about that to do that. Now that was a big investment, a big chunk of money, but I was so excited to do that because it was like, it meant something to me. It meant freedom to me. It meant like responsibility to me. It meant like becoming an adult and all these things. And I was really excited to do it. Okay. And there is an experience that we can all of us think of where we have spent money and we have really liked it and we're excited that we had done it. So I I love the saying, everybody loves to buy. Nobody likes to be sold to. Hmm. We all want to we all want to be engaged in a process where we buy something that we want, but nobody wants to be like convinced to do something that they didn't want to do. And so if we're thinking about sales in terms of convincing somebody to do something, be on the lookout for that language, because that is not the essence of effective, resourceful sales. And if you're finding that you're having resistance to wanting to sell and you're thinking of it in terms of convincing people to buy something, just rethink it. Your job is not to convince people to buy something. Your job is to find people who already want the thing that you're selling. Mm-hmm. Find people who already want the thing and who would love to buy it and then have conversations with them. Find out why they want to buy the thing. See if we can find, don't go in like, oh, you should buy this. Everybody would benefit from this. Everybody should have this thing. Go into it with like, I don't know if this thing would be useful for you. I don't know if you would want to buy this thing. Mm -hmm. Let's have a conversation and see. I I know all about this thing that I'm selling. You know all about you and what you want in the world. Mm -hmm. Can we have a conversation where we figure out if those two things are the same thing? Yeah, (laughs) totally. I love the, you remember that time we saw T. Harv Ecker speak and he told that really, I think this would be such a good time to like interject with that story. Tell it, yeah. So T. Harv Eker wrote this book called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, which is a great money mindset book. And we saw him speak in like a, yeah, totally. Um, And we saw him speak at like an online conference once. And he told this really beautiful story about his, um, and he was talking to a bunch of coaches is what the context is. And he was talking about his mother who had rheumatoid arthritis and he would just watch her be in so much pain and holding her hands and wishing like if any, like I would give anything, like any amount of money to solve this problem. And he's like, imagine if you were the person who had the solution for rheumatoid arthritis. And the only reason that T.R. Becker's mom wasn't getting access to this is because you were worried about like, oh, what if people think I'm salesy? And well, I don't want to like impose on anybody else. And so you are in a really real way, if this is how you're showing up in the world, keeping the people who would most benefit from having the 
service or product that you have in the world um, because of your own kind of mindset around sales. And I think that that's just like, and I love telling this story and also putting like a little. He said, he said, he said, if you had the cure to arthritis and you weren't selling it to my mom, you're being an asshole. (laughs) How selfish. Yeah. And so I like to, I like to put kind of this, it's not to, not to use this story as a way to say like, oh, you should be out doing the thing, but to provide some space for it, like, actually by keeping yourself from providing the service and having the experience of fulfillment that you want in your reality, you are also keeping other people from getting the beautiful benefit of the work that you do in the world. Absolutely. And, and so, and we can, cause again, remember money is value. Money is values exchange. Cause it's not just that it's not just that you're not then providing the value to the person. Um, imagine you have money. Are you going to be going and investing? Are you the kind of person who would be investing in like bombs or war or taking advantage of people or things like that? Or are you the kind of person who wants to invest in things that you think are good in the world? So what would you be doing with your money? And so by like cutting yourself off from that flow, you're also not investing in a world that you want to see. And so really that's what we're doing. We're trying to tap into this flow of value exchange such that you become a creator in the world of the things that are important to you and that you want to see and that you want to see more of and that you think are good things in the world. Yeah, the concept of gratitude is coming up for me right now and how this fits into this whole thing. So one of the things that I really love spending my money on, our money, is investing in um, like learning and education. And there's such a, an amount of gratitude that comes from one that I have the resources and two, that I can exchange them. And three, that the person who created that content is available for me to consume. And when I'm putting my money into that, then I'm creating more space for other people in the world to be creating that kind of value that I can then go and consume and have kind of a reason for going out and creating value for other people so that I can have access to all these really exciting things. And I love this as kind of a framework for how freedom can work in a really kind of concrete way. Totally. I love it. I also, you know, just to, to think if, if, cause if somebody were saying like having a sales seminar and they were doing the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross methodology, always be closing. And here's all the psychological manipulation tactics or something like that. You and I, we wouldn't be investing in that with our money. We wouldn't mm-hmm. go and spend money on that. Okay. So that person's going to have not going to have access to our dollars for reinvesting in their business, for growing that messaging out in the world, for marketing that messaging out in the world. And instead, we're going to be investing in the sales seminar that's heart connected, like mm-hmm. T. Harv Ecker, where you have like actually like what I would call by definition, again, good usages of money. Mm-hmm. And so then when that person gets our money in exchange for the thing that we are so happy to buy from them, now they're going to be growing in the world. They're going to be having those that money to reinvest in their marketing, spreading that message to the world. More people are going to be coming into contact with that messaging in the world. And so I think it's really useful to recognize that we're going to invest our money in ways that are values aligned for us. And so if we have a resistance to money, if we haven't figured out our money mindset such that we have a resistance to getting access to money in the world, then we are also not going to be then using that money for the things that we really care about. And so those things are going to shrink mm-hmm. as other things grow. Mm-hmm. And one one final thought on this that I just want to notice is that so many people who are saying like, well, you know, the thing that's 
that I really love in the world, like I can't sell that because it's, you know, I, I'm a good person and I love doing that thing and I wouldn't give it away. What they're usually doing for money right now in their reality is not something that's very values aligned for them mm. in the world. And so they are actually investing in a world where they're selling something that they don't care about, that they mm -hmm. don't like. And they're, that's what they're doing for money out of a, out of a, from a place of scarcity. And so I think it's really useful for us to remember mm -hmm. that as we create abundance in the things that we really care about, we get more energy, more time, more value to create those things in the world. And also we're, we don't have to make decisions where we're selling things that we don't care about, or we're part of a business that sells something that we don't care about mm -hmm. that we're actually out of values alignment with. Yeah, totally. And you just said something that I, oh, this is such a good point. And I'm so glad that you sparked it in my brain so that I can share it here. That Asking people to invest in the service or product that you provide is actually in service to them. Because when you mm. give it away for free, they don't value it as much. And then they might not actually extract the benefit of it. Yeah. Literally, we our word for it is getting bought in to something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't to have so skin funny? in the game. Yeah. And if, you, if you're not bought into something, you're not invested mm -hmm. in it. And then you're less likely to get the value out of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So actually, if you have something that you value that you think is important for people, giving them the opportunity to invest, that's part of the, the value of the thing is mm -hmm. the opportunity to invest themselves in it mm -hmm. and to say, hey, this is important enough for me that I'm going to use some of my finite flow of money Mm -hmm. to invest in this thing and become the kind of person who invests in that thing. And I think that's so valuable and we could probably spend a whole episode on just that, but mm -hmm. um, really useful to mm -hmm. think of. Cool. Any, any final thoughts? I think overall these last two episodes have really kind of created some kind of creative spark for people to just step into their own stories about money, consider how they might be impacting how they're showing up in the world and how that gets access to freedom for them or not. Um, I think we've really covered a lot of really interesting ways of thinking about this in this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So, so go out there, realize that you are investing in your reality, give other people the opportunity to invest in their reality, focus on what you value in the world and mm -hmm. aligning your money with your value mm -hmm. in the world, what you care about and what other people that you want to hang out with care about. And recognize that money is just a tool for doing that and creating more of whatever you care about in the world and um, and start telling that story and start having that resourceful story being there. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the conversation. It was great as always, wifey. And um, if you have any questions, reach out to us, uh, lucid at underscore shift underscore coaching. Um, on Instagram and you can ask questions in our DMs there. We're happy to address any things. If these things aren't landing with you, if they're not resonating, or if you have any other questions where you're like, gosh, but how does it work in this situation? Reach out and ask us those questions because we might answer you right there in the DMs or we might make you another podcast um, and, and let you know about it when it comes out. So thanks so much for participating and uh, live your freedom and love your life. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. 
If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.